You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. All right, good morning, church. Good morning, East Point. How are you guys? Yeah? Are you awake today? Good to be with you. Uh, Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, we're in the first chapter. Uh, If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide in the back, we are on page 836. And if you don't have a Bible, then that Bible is yours now. Feel free to keep it. That's our gift to you. And uh, we're having a good time. You see, in that Bible, we are going through verse by verse on a journey through the book of Mark. And I was talking to some friends this week, and they're like, man, every week it just feels like it's becoming more and more alive. And I realized, because when you go verse by verse through the scriptures, you start to experience compound interest. That's what I realized. You know what I mean? Like, last week's story, it was great because we knew the context and the setting of the previous week's story. And so every week, it's as if the setting and the context, they are just, it's compounding the effectiveness. It's compounding our understanding. And so I'm excited to be in chapter 1, verses 14 through 20 with you this morning. And so as you're turning there, I have a question. My question is this. What time is it? What time is it? I'm like, well, Sam, let me look at my watch here. It is precisely 1026. Oh, 1027. Ah, right. So if I ask you that question in the lobby, you're going to look at your watch or your phone, right? What time is it? How many of you still wear watches? Okay. How many of you use your phone primarily as your time-telling device? How many of you still wear a watch, but you still look at your phone? Ah, exactly, right? How many of you know how to read? No, never mind, never mind. Because I'm going to be the only one that raises my hand, right? I don't know. What time is it? You see, if I ask you in the lobby, you're going to look at your watch. But if I ask you that same question in the locker room before a big game, what time is it? Woo! You're going to answer differently. If I ask you that question in the middle of a timeout, in the middle of a huddle at the climax of the game, what time is it? You're going to answer that differently. If I ask you that question as your wife's water is breaking all over your couch and you look at me with that fear in your eye and I go, what time is it? You're not looking at your watch, right? You know that the only answer in those situations is game time. What time is it? It's game time. You see, clearly, friends, we use the word time in two different ways. And so sometimes when I say the word time, I'm looking at my watch because I'm talking about chronological time, tick-tock, the progression of seconds and minutes. But then there's other times, right? When I say what time is it, I'm not talking about click the tick-tock. I'm saying I'm, I'm referring to the huge moment, the moment of great significance, a moment of import. I'm saying, hey, that moment is here. The time that we've been waiting for has finally arrived. The time has come. It is game time. We're going to remember this moment forever. What time is it? What time is it? And so we're continuing our journey through the book of Mark. It's called The Arrival. And in week one, we met the messenger, the one who was foretold to come before God to prime the pump, to roll out the red carpet, as it were. So we met the messenger. Week two, we met the divine king who showed up on the scene and he walked down the red carpet. 
that was set aside for God because he was fully God and fully man, the divine king. And so this week, that divine king, we get to hear from him. And as we hear from him, friends, he is going to tell us what time it is. He's going to tell us the time. He's going to tell the watching world that the moment has come, the moment in history that changes everything, this hinge point in history has come. And as we listen to him, I want you to ask yourself, what time is it in your life? What moment is this when you look back on the personal history, on your journey, what time is it? What moment is this for you? And how are you going to respond? And so we're going to dive in here, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you two points. Two points, and the second point is going to have three sub-points underneath it, okay? So point one, point two, and then three sub-points under point two. And that's how our text is organized this morning. So would you like to see it? What time is it? That's game time. Here we go. Starting in verse 14. This is God's word. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is God's word for East Point Church this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that you are a God who speaks. You don't leave us in the dark, wondering and guessing as to your existence or your nature. God, you have revealed yourself to us. And so we're listening. Speak to us, Lord. By your word, create and recreate your people. Change us this morning because of our time here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's get after it. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's see what it says and break it down. Okay, check this out. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The first point we see in our passage this morning, friends, is that the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. After spending time in Judea, remember Jesus went out to Judea, he got baptized, he spent some time in the wilderness, and now he's going back home. He's coming back into his hometown of Galilee, and he begins his ministry as a preacher. Jesus is a man with a message, and he begins to communicate that message to the ancient world. And so as he begins to preach... As he gets going here, Mark, right off the jump, he gives us insight. He paints a picture of the landscape into which Jesus is arriving. Look what he says. Jesus shows up and it says, after John was arrested. I know you're excited about the king. All right, I know you're pumped to see what this king is going to do. He is going to establish a new kingdom, a new reality, and we are all here for the king. 
But before we get there, Mark wants us to be very clear. From day one, adversity and opposition are present. Adversity and opposition are present. Do you remember who Mark is talking to? Do you remember the audience? Roman Christians who are being slaughtered by Nero because they follow Jesus. And so it's as if Mark is reminding them and as if he's preparing you and me. Remember, this movement was birthed in adversity. You see, the movement, the, the kingdom of God is antithetical. It is, it is opposites of the kingdom of this world. And so right off the jump, we realize opposition is normal. And as we get to know this king, as we contemplate following him with our lives, we realize that it will involve adversity and opposition. It's as if Mark is looking to that audience and he's looking to you and me and he says, hey, this is the way. This is the way. And this is the landscape into which Jesus shows up, right? And so he comes preaching, right? It's that he's proclaiming the gospel of God. Gospel simply means good news. He is proclaiming the good news of God. God has news. Check your CNN apps, friends. Check your news app. Check Fox, whatever it is you watch. God has news. There is an announcement that God is wanting to make to the world because something has happened. Something has happened. And we see the single headline, the single headline summarizing this announcement by Jesus. And this is what he says. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's time. Not TikTok time, right? Not, not seconds and minutes. He's saying the time is fulfilled. The moment that we have been waiting for has arrived, and this is the moment. God has established his kingdom. God has established an alternative reality, an alternate economy and administration. And all who want can now come and live under this new rule and reign of God. Do you remember in week one, Isaiah's words, Add, as it is written? Friends, they have been waiting for this moment for a long time. They have been waiting for the moment where God would step into the brokenness of humanity and he would establish a rule and reign of peace, an economy of justice, a rule of righteousness. And Jesus says, guys, good news. The time is fulfilled. Good news. The moment is here. Good news. The kingdom has come because the king has arrived. Why is this good news? Well, think about it. If you were in Jesus' original audience, right? If you were a Jew and you were living under the occupation of Rome, if you were living under the thumb of the kingdom of Rome, this message would perk your ears up, right? You knew firsthand how horrible it was to live under Rome. And so you were saying, yes, please, kingdom, come. Yes, please, we want to live in God's perfect kingdom, not the kingdom of Rome. Well, you're not living under the kingdom of Rome. I'm not living under the kingdom of Rome. And so why is this message still good news to us? Yeah, we may not know the kingdom of Rome, but friends, you know just how horrible it is to live in the kingdom of me. Have you ever lived in the kingdom of me? You're like, no, I live in the kingdom of me. No, kingdom of me. You get it? We're all living in the kingdom of me. 
Look around, friends. Look around at this broken world. When we are in charge, when you live life according to, when I live life according to my rule and to my reign, life is marked by foolishness and frustration. Life in the kingdom of me is marked by failure after failure. Broken relationships dominate the landscape because all of our selfish aims of me are competing. And friends, no offense, but here's why this is happening. Because you and me are pretty terrible kings. You're like, well, that's why I left my tiara in the car, right? Like, we are terrible kings. We were never meant to live in the kingdom of me. You see, when people like me are king, corrupt leaders are promoted. The weak are oppressed. The voiceless are taken advantage of. Things that are wrong are declared good and acceptable. Friends, here's what I want you to know this morning. You will never live the life that you were created to live in the kingdom of me. And so for those of us who were tired of this broken kingdom, for those of us who, like the Israelites, look to Rome, for those of us who are tired of broken humans creating a broken world, good news, the kingdom of me is being replaced by the kingdom of God. This is the announcement. This is the good news. The kingdom is here. Yes. So where is it? So you're going to leave the parking lot. You're going to turn right on Peach Blossom. Okay? <laughs> what? Where is the kingdom? Where is it? Well, I was looking for it this week. And I pulled out a map. And so here's a map. And here's what I noticed. This is not the kingdom of God. Bonjour. This is the kingdom of France. And I want you to notice something, right? Look how this kingdom, notice how there's a border on it, right? There, there is a boundary that is marking the location of the kingdom. This is their turf. This is the space over which the king of France rules and reigns. If you're not in France, then you're not under his domain. But if you're in his kingdom... You're under the domain. You're under the influence, the realm of his authority. Kingdom of France, not kingdom of France. You see it? So here's my question. Where's the kingdom of God? Where is the turf over which God rules and reigns? Where are the borders? Where are the boundaries? Where is the capital city upon which King Jesus will sit on his throne? Where is the kingdom? Where is it, friends? And so here's what's so cool. In the next part of our verse, Jesus tells us how to enter the kingdom. He gives us the directions to the kingdom. Look what he says. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Do you see the kingdom? Do you see it? Do you see how to get to the capital? Do you see where the boundaries are? Do you see where the border is? You see, Jesus, he tells us how to enter the kingdom, and we realize you don't enter through a border. You don't need a passport. There's actually no physical entrance. He is calling us to repent and believe because the turf of God's kingdom is the human heart. We don't need a passport, friends. The king of God's kingdom doesn't sit on a throne in some capital city because the space over which he rules and reigns is the hearts of humanity. The king, he reigns here. And so you see, the call is to repent 
and believe, right? We're literally, it means to turn. We are turning away from something, and we are turning towards something. And so the word repent, it simply means we are humbly acknowledging the vanity of living in the kingdom of me, and we are pivoting. We are calling a change of direction. The kingdom of me is broke, and so I am now turning to the kingdom of God. And so repentance and belief, it happens at the heart level. And every time and every place that a human heart does that little dance, the repentance dance, right? We should coin it. But every time they do that little dance, every time they turn to the kingdom of God, it's as if the kingdom is expanding, right? Every time the human heart turns and declares Jesus to be king of their heart, it's as if the kingdom of God, the, the turf is extending further. The, the, the land where the, where the flag is planted, the boundary is increasing. The kingdom is growing even right now in this room as faith is birthed and as people turn in their hearts to Jesus. The space over which Christ rules and reigns is the human heart. There's no walls there's no borders and boundaries. Look what Jesus says in Luke 17, right? He comes to the Jews, and they're tired of Rome. And he goes, all right, fine, we believe you. So where's the kingdom? Come on, tell us. When are you going to bring in your army? When are you going to establish your rule and reign? When are you going to kick out Caesar and you lead us, O king? Jesus, they wanted this kingdom, right? That's why when they killed Jesus, they were so distraught. They were so jaded and disappointed and cynical about the kingdom that he promised so much about. What did they put above the cross? King of the Jews. And if they had emojis, they would have put a face after going, yeah, sure, king of the Jews. Where's the kingdom, Jesus? Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Everywhere that there are people whose hearts are ruled by King Jesus, there is the kingdom. And so here we are in the YMCA on Peach Blossom. Is the kingdom here? Are there hearts here that are ruled by King Jesus? Is there any turf in this room? Is there any turf of which Jesus says, mine? If so, the kingdom is here, friends. The kingdom is here. Have you turned from your sin toward the king? Have you repented and believed? Have you declared Jesus to be king? Has he claimed the turf of your heart? Or are you like many of us were? And you're still pursuing the kingdom of me where you're in charge. Jesus is saying, what are you waiting for? Enter the kingdom. It's here. Experience the rule and reign of Jesus. Come, turn to him. That's the message. The kingdom has come. And so here, you remember I told you how Mark, he's not going to write these long, eloquent sermons and speeches. And one line, right? A headline. The kingdom is here. Very succinct. And it's because Paul, he's not writing with a pen. He's writing with a paintbrush, right? He doesn't want you to just hear about it. He says, I want to show you. 
And so after giving us this one-line summary, he now begins to show us in real time what it looks like for someone to respond to this message. And so I want to show you what he says here. Let's continue in the second half of our passage, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. You see, friends, number one, the kingdom has come. Number two, the king is calling. The king is calling. And so Jesus, he's out at the beach. He's walking down by the seaport, and we see two brothers on a boat here. Two brothers that are casting their nets, Simon and Andrew. And you're like, why would they be casting their nets into the sea? And I love Mark. He's like, I don't mean to insult your intelligence, but they were fishermen. And we're like, oh, oh, got it. Yes, notes, right? (laughs) He sees these two guys. They're on a boat. He goes a little bit further. He sees two more guys, James and John. They're also on a boat mending their nets. Why would they be mending their nets? For they were fishermen. And he sees these fishermen. He comes to their place of business. I guarantee you he didn't make an appointment that day with the boat people. He shows up at work and he says, follow me. Follow me. You see, this traveling preacher, he's not just proclaiming a message, a general message to the faceless masses. He is calling to and he is approaching individuals. He is coming to people. He's not simply spreading a message. He is beginning a movement. To start this movement, he's amassing followers. How many of you guys have followers? Like, I don't want to brag, but on Twitter, kind of an influencer, okay? Come on, how many of you have followers? Don't be shy. None of you. All right, whatever. (laughs) You know, we have followers on Instagram. How many of you have heard of followers, you know? We have influencers on Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat. I remember I met a 15-year-old kid once. I was, I was a youth pastor, and so I'd go once a week. I'd go have lunch in the courtyard at the high school, and we're just hanging out, goofing off. And I remember this one kid was like, oh, yo, tell him. Yo, no, no, you tell him. No, no, you tell him. It's like, tell me what? And they go, his latest TikTok just hit a million views. And I remember this kid just standing with his phone, like all bashful. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, what is our world coming to? This 15-year-old kid with nothing to say, right, of importance. He's like, yes, I have a million people listening to me. And I'm like, dear God, end me now, right? (laughs) That's what followers are, right? We have followers. We have people who from a distance track our content and they engage. Thumbs up, hearts, awesome, you know. Our content shows up on their news feed and they can give impressions. When I say that Jesus is recruiting followers, I I cannot mean more of the opposite. When When we say that Jesus is recruiting followers, it is nothing like the social media followers of today. You see, followers in this day were very different. People would want to learn under a rabbi, which is simply a Jewish teacher. And so they would do resumes 
nice cover letters, you know what I mean? They'd get some character references, and then they would submit their applications to a rabbi, hoping that he would select their candidacy. And so the rabbi, he would come, he would, he would collect a certain amount of qualified applicants, and he would bring them into basically what amounted to an immersive internship, okay? And as his interns, as his students, as his pupils, they would literally follow this traveling preacher. And so everywhere he would go teaching, they would follow, and they would serve him, and they would assist him. And as they saw him in action, I, I love there's this Hebraism where the rabbis would say, be close enough to taste the dirt of my sandals. Oh, all right. It's, a, it's a, an expression meaning, watch me, stick close, right? Stay so close to me that you'll learn from me. And so they would go and they would, they would listen to his teaching. They would observe his life. They would then continue to emulate his life. This was their form of education. That's how they did it. And so Jesus tells us here that he is also recruiting disciples. He's also starting an internship here. He is taking on pupils. And next week, we're going to see that his school of leadership is so different. His internship is so unlike any other scribe or Pharisee's internship. We'll get there. But for now, we see that he is calling disciples. And if I was on the boat, if I was at my place of work and Jesus said, hey, come be my intern. Hey, follow me. Come on this year long, these years long journey of me educating you. I would, this is what I would do personally. I'd go, Jesus, that is an awesome offer. Can I see the syllabus? Anybody a fan of the syllabus? Right? First thing, what is the syllabus? What are the expectations? What is the responsibility? What are the assignments that are going to need to be done? What does being a disciple of Jesus entail? you got to remember, these guys in the boat, they don't know what me and you know. They don't know that this is not just an ordinary rabbi, that he is the divine king, fully God and fully man. They don't know this. But that's who he is. And therefore, being his disciple is going to be unlike anything they've ever heard of. And so I want to see what the syllabus is. I want to see what this call to discipleship entails. And as I see it, there are three things here, okay? Three things in his call, and we're going to break these down. Look at his call. He says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. The first thing he says to them is, follow me. Number one, a disciple follows Jesus. Hey, follow me to my car. i got to show you something. No, this is not follow me to my car. He's saying, come and be my pupil. Come and be a student of my way of life. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to teach you the ways of the kingdom. Remember, guys, he's a king. And so this is a call to let Jesus rule and reign on the throne of your heart. Follow me. Friends, here's the reality. We are all following something, right? Like we all have someone or something that, that around which we organize every part of our life. There is something that is our utmost priority and concern. What is it for you? What is the thing? What, what is ruling? What is the dominating priority of your life? Is it relationships? Man, that, that's the most important thing. Everything else, my time, my marriage, my parent, every, my job, everything will revolve around the relationships. Is it success? Is that guiding you? 
wealth, make it to a million, being liked and accepted. Maybe it's comfort and safety. Whatever I need to do to remain safe and comfortable in my bubble, that's the most important thing. We all have a priority through which we are filtering the rest of our life decisions. And so Jesus shows up and he goes, I want to talk about that. The first thing he says is, hey, follow me. To be my disciple is, means that I'm going to address the throne of your heart. Do you see there's so much in these two words? To be a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you go to church once a week. It doesn't mean that you subscribe to a new religion or that you update your Instagram bio to now I'm a Christian. It means that he calls the shots. It means that he sets the agenda. It means that he is sitting on the throne of your life and he's providing instructions and he is speaking into how you handle your relationships and how you handle your career and how you treat your marriage and how you approach your sexuality and how you handle your finances and how, what you do with your time. All of these things now revolve, everything, it revolves around the dominating reality. I follow King Jesus. He is Lord. He is King. He rules and reigns on the throne of my heart. Follow me. You see, I don't think it's an accident that Jesus calls these guys while they're at work. He could have saw them on the boat and says, y'all, they're busy. Hey, guys, meet me at the synagogue on Saturday. Show up a little bit early. I'm going to bring some, like, peanut butter and hummus bagels, and I have a really big proposition for you. Meet me at the synagogue. Nope. He shows up to their job. And guys, let's be clear. This was their job. This was not their hobby. This was not a little side hustle. They got a little fishing pole in the water. If you're a fisherman in the Mediterranean in this day, you've made it to the big show. You are savvy. You are a business-minded man. You are entrepreneurial, right? If you notice in the last verse, it says they left. Who was in the boat? Not only their father Zebedee, but servants. They were doing okay. And so he shows up here. They had a lot going for them, but he shows up here. He meets them in their world, on their turf, at the place of their business because it's here that the priorities of their lives come to a crossroads. At work, with their dad, with their family, with their business. Here in the boat, we see the crux of discipleship illustrated. It's Jesus over everything. Follow me. That's what he says. Follow me. Boys, your career will no longer be the most important thing in your life. James and John, I know you're with your father Zebedee, but your family will no longer be the top priority around which everything else revolves. It's not that those things are bad. The point is simply this. The call to follow Jesus supersedes everything. Every other pursuit, every other priority, we now hold it with an open hand and we say, not my will, but yours be done. That's a hard call, isn't it? That's what we're signing up for? That's Christianity? I just wanted to go to church once a week and make a donation and be a kind person. He's calling me to revolve everything in my life around him? And here, I'm just going to say it. We're all thinking it. But I want to say it out loud because this is okay. This is a safe place. There's something inside of us that we hear this call and we go, 
no offense, but who are you? Right? You, you want me to revolve every aspect of my life around this Jewish rabbi. No offense to Jesus. I'm sure he's done a lot of nice things in this world, but who are you? That's a good question. And if you ask that question, you're not a bad person. That means you're an intellectual person and you're using your mind. Good. And as we get going through this book, you're going to see how Jesus answers that question. But I'll give you a sneak peek. Listen to what he says. Luke 18. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Here's who he is. Here's the one who is calling you to follow him. He is the one who says, everything you leave behind to follow me will pale in comparison to what I have for you. The one who calls you to follow him, the one who calls you to center your entire life around him is the divine king who says, friends, what you are about to taste in this kingdom is going to make everything else you left, the things that you thought were sacrifice, you're now going to be, wow, how did I almost hold on to that? Everything that I thought I was losing, I realized was now my gain. The king is calling. He says, follow me, and you will not fail to receive many times more everything that you walk away from. It's a sacrifice, but it's all worth it. It's all gain. And so he calls, follow me. Number one, a disciple follows Jesus. Second thing he says, and I will make you become. A disciple follows Jesus, and a disciple is transformed by Jesus. A disciple is transformed by Jesus. He says, the result of being with me, the result of being a follower in my internship, as my pupil, you're not simply going to know how things work in the kingdom. You're not simply going to receive a good education between the ears. You are going to become more and more like me in every respect. As you spend time with me, you are going to literally be transformed by my spirit. And you're going to look more and more like the king. Look at these guys in the boat. Ordinary men, right? Fishermen, businessmen. Let's fast forward a little bit. We go ahead several chapters and we see what they are like. After years of being with Jesus, look, see if you can tell the difference, okay? Acts chapter 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized, ah, they had been with Jesus. Spending time with the king will transform your life and people will notice. And the only explanation, well, that guy got some education. That guy found religion. That gal really cleaned herself up. She must have found good friends. No, they have been with Jesus. And to be a disciple is to be transformed by him. Friends, Jesus wants to, wants to make you become. He calls you to follow him. And he wants to see you transformed. Not just to get a little self-improvement not to get a little cleaned up around the edges. He wants to find the broken parts in your life, the aspects of our life that we know intuitively go, man, this, is, this hurts. This is not the way it was meant to be lived. 
And Jesus says, those are the spaces that I've called you to transform. How does Jesus want to change you? Ask him. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should regularly be asking, Rabbi, teacher, Lord, hey, king, how do you want to change me today? How do you want to change me in this season of life? What are you working on me? Lay me down on the operating table of the Spirit and do your work. Because to be a disciple is to be transformed by Jesus. Look at the last part of his call. He says, I will make you become fishers of men. A disciple follows Jesus. A disciple is transformed by Jesus. And number three, a disciple partners with Jesus. These guys know how to bring fish into their boats, do they not? Did you see them? They had nets. I don't know what, you know, the last one, whatever they're doing. They know how to bring fish. I know, we don't lasso in the sea. Forgive me, all right? New to the eastern shore, right? They know how to bring fish into their boats. And Jesus says, as my student, by the time I'm done with you, you're going to know how to bring people into the kingdom of God. You're going to know how to reach out and bring people close to the king of heaven. You see, we tend to think of Jesus followers in divisions, right? I'm a D1 Christian, (laughs) you know. I'm a D2 Christian. I'm D3. Actually, I'm just here for like the rec league Christianity, you know. Like I'm just going to be on the Sunday thing, right? And so you got like regular guy Christian, and then you got like kind of leader guy, and then you have like head honcho who wears the microphone, right? And these people teach other people, and me, I'm just trying to get by, right? I'm like D1, D2. You see what we do? And Jesus, he's destroying that. He's saying, if you are my follower, he is baking into that definition. Intrinsic in the call to follow him is the idea. He's planting the seed. He's planting the reality that you will help others follow me. Followers of Jesus help others follow Jesus. I don't know anything. I only know like three things. Well, then teach three things. I'm only on mile two of my marathon. I'm no business to teach other people how to run. There are people that are at mile one. There are people that are at their starting line. There are people who haven't even laced up their shoes yet, and they are far from the race. And Jesus sends you. I'm going to teach you how to become fishers of men. Church, I'm about to ask you two questions. And I'm not exaggerating, okay? I I mean this when I say this. These are the two most important questions that I will be asking over the next decade of our church's existence from this pulpit. Write these down, okay? This is huge. This is huge. Tweet this for your followers, okay? Oh, you don't have followers. My bad. Okay. (laughs) Two questions, okay? Who are you discipling? And who's discipling you? Who are you discipling? And who's discipling you? Friends, we have come to an existence of church where there are hundreds of thousands of people congregating in a room like this, and they have separated church attendance from discipleship. We have hundreds of thousands of people in this world who are Christians. They are followers of Jesus, but they are not in any active sense growing in their faith. They have no one in their life with whom they are reading the Bible together and whom they are talking about with. They have no one in their life that is simply asking three questions. How are you following Jesus? How is he changing you? And who are you reaching? 
That's discipleship. It's getting with other people and organizing your life and your time around these three questions. And so here at East Point Church, we have drawn a line in the sand. We have planted our flag. This is not about an event. This is not about coming to church once a week. This is not about checking off a box. To be here, friends, this is what we're going to be focusing on for the next decade of our church. We're bringing back discipleship and Christianity because they were never meant to be separated. And so may it be said, long gone is the day of church involvement, but no growth in our faith. Why would you want that? Do you know how many good sports games are on right now? Why would you engage? You're like, I got, I got uh, TiVo. Don't worry about me. I, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like, why would we settle for going to church but not allowing the kingship of Jesus to influence every aspect of our lives? Who are you discipling? And who's discipling you? Who are you showing the ropes to? Who are the people in your lives that in your own humility and, and in your own personality you're saying, hey, here's what I've learned from King Jesus. What have you learned? Can we compare notes? May there be a movement of Bible reading, one-to-one Bible reading, and, and small groups of three to four people, and, and may we take over all the Paneras in the world because people just get together, because they just want to be disciples together. That's the movement. It says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Who has God put in your life so that you can influence Who has God put in your life that is far from him so that you can be a light, that with your words and with your lifestyle, you can shine a light, you can introduce them to the king, and then get out of the way. Let them meet the king. Let them hear his message. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And you're just sitting there eating your Panera going, you heard him. What do you think of that? We have this fear. I can't be a fisher of men. I don't know all the answers. You're not the king. Let the king speak, and then just talk about what he says. That's discipleship. And then pray for us. Would you do that? Pray that East Point will never lose that identity. That we will be a place where people say, there's no longer like, hey, do you go to East Point or do you go and grow? And we want to remove those. To be here is to grow. To be here is to grow in my faith. Because I attend East Point, because I'm a part of this faith family, I'm experiencing discipleship. And I'm learning how to follow Jesus I'm being transformed by Jesus, and I'm partnering with Jesus. That's the message. Because Jesus showed up, friends, and we realize that the kingdom has come, and the king is calling. The kingdom has come, and the king is calling. And so how did they respond? Let's look at this here. It says here, they left their nets and followed him. Okay? Look at the next two guys. It says, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. They responded by turning and believing, by repenting and following. They have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And so, friend, are you a follower of Jesus? are you? Are you following him, being changed by him, and partnering with him? If not, how cool it is that you get to hear this message. 
every week. My expectation is there are people at different parts of our journey, and you may not be a follower of Jesus yet. We love that you're here. We love that you are coming close enough to the king to hear what his message is all about. But if that's you, I ask you this. What time is it? What time is it in your life? What time is it right now? What is this moment in your journey? Because Jesus says, it's time. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is here. Follow me. Friends, turn to him. Dare to believe that this king really is who he said he is. And when you come into the kingdom of God, you will not fail to experience many times more everything you've left. It's called faith. And you, get, you go public with that faith through baptism, right? That is the universal sign for I now live for King Jesus. The kingdom has come and the king is calling. For those of you here and you're like, Sam, I am a follower of Jesus. Me too. <laughs> I love you. We're brothers and sisters. And here's what I want you to walk away with, okay? Repenting and believing pivoting, turning from something and turning towards something, these are not only the things that we do to gain entrance into the kingdom. I'm going to say it again. Repenting and believing are not simply the things that we do to gain entrance into the kingdom. They are the lifestyle of citizens. Every day of my life, I'm repenting and believing, just like I did on day one. Every day of my life, I'm consciously saying no to the kingdom of me and I'm saying yes to the kingdom of God. More commonly, I'm repenting. I have to turn back and go, God, I turned back. I said yes to the kingdom of me. Just ask my wife. Ask your spouse. We still mess up. And every day, I repent and I believe. I turn from the kingdom of me, and I re-pledge allegiance to the king of the kingdom of God. The kingdom has come and the king is calling. May we listen and respond. Father, we thank you so much for this message. Thank you for this word, Lord, that you have communicated to us. And we just, what else can we do but respond, Lord? And so thank you for coming to us. Thank you for calling us and choosing us to hear this. May we respond in faith. Thank you for sending King Jesus. Lord, what king lays down his life for his subjects? What king comes across the universe into our neighborhood, in our world, on our turf? You're such a good king. Your kindness leads us to repentance. Not your guilt, not condemnation, not regret. Lord, your kindness, your, your unbelievable love for us. It melts our heart. It overcomes our disbelief. It softens our resistance. And we say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. Would you please transform me and teach me to partner with you in the kingdom? And Father, my prayer is that East Point Church would forever be a place where disciples are made. That we would forever be a place where transfor transformation is the norm. That there's an expectation of growth. Let this be a place, Lord, where we can taste, where we get a, a sense of what the kingdom of God is like. May the culture of this church family reflect accurately the culture of the kingdom. 
so that we would be ready to see you face to face when you come and consummate the kingdom. We love you, Lord. We give you our lives. You are our king. And so we praise you, Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.